Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Amen. You may be seated. Um, how many of you, it may not have dawned on some of you that today, today, January 22nd, 2023, is exactly 50 years to the day that Roe v. Wade was passed. And um, I was uh, a young man when that passed, and, um, you know, I want to just share, there's a young man I know who uh, only three years after Roe v. Wade happened. He was in college, and he and his girlfriend got pregnant. And one of the first things the obstetrician asked her is, do you want to have an abortion? And by the grace of God, uh, they said, she said no. And of course, they said no. And um, um, the great thing about that decision is that that young man and that young lady grew up and they went on and had a, they got married, they had that baby. And now uh, that son that they had has three children of his own. And uh, he is, his three contribute to their 12 grandchildren. And that happens to be Brenda and me, your pastor. So this is something that's very real to me. And can I just tell you, conception is not sin. Fornication is sin. And the consequences are not necessarily sin. Reproduction is not sin. It can be irresponsible. But we have a culture that has submitted itself um, to the gods that are out there. And I, I, uh, I had a, I just want to do a little setup today. One of the words that we've been hearing is the word of the Lord. And uh, the word of the Lord has been to drop our oars, drop our self-effort, drop the self-sufficiency that our culture encourages us to have, and to get to the place, and very often God is maneuvering our lives into a place where all we can do is cry out to Him. Uh, And interestingly enough, that crisis in my young life is one of the things that caused me to really cry out to the Lord. And um, today I want to look at something about the Word of the Lord. I want us to examine some scriptures, but before I get too deep into those texts, I want to just talk about kind of the spirit of the age. And I, and I feel led this morning to kind of cover something that um, I'm not sure I was really prepared completely to cover, but I'm going to try. The, uh, the children of Israel, as you well know, or some of you well know, is that 
God called them out of Egypt. He rescued them as a, about two million souls. And he said, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And this was a nation that was literally had been in slavery for 400 years. So they were well-conditioned slaves. They were not the, the leaders of the known world. None of them graduated from Harvard and Stanford. There was nobody like that. And so part of, part of what happened is God rescued this people, and he said, I'm going to be your God among all the gods. In fact, there are no other gods, except some people think there are, which is kind of this, this theme in the Bible, this over reoccurring theme in the Bible, is that God basically, as far as he's concerned, and he's the one that counts, there is no other God. And yet, somehow, we tend to constantly get confused with that fact, and we pursue other gods. And um, I want to just read you a couple of scriptures that, that the Lord, this is early on, right after he set the children of Israel free from Egypt, he said... Um, but they mixed, and he's talking about, it's kind of a, a, a warning of what could happen to the children of Israel if they did this. If they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they do, and they serve their idols, which will become a snare to them, they sacrifice their sons and their daughters to demons. They pour out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrifice to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Now that's, that's Psalm 106, verses 35 through 39. Then in De, then, and that's really referencing the same te- a similar text in Deuteronomy that says, they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they hadn't known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never understood or known. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. The rock, of course, capital R, that's the Lord. He constantly referred to himself to them as their rock, their protector. And you forgot the God who gave you birth. And one more scripture. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. And one last text, and it's out of the book of Judges, which is really germane because really this morning I'm going to have you all turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, which in a way is just an extension of the book of Judges. It's really the last sequence. It's, in fact, Samuel is the last judge of Israel before the kingdom of, uh, transfers to a king which eventually becomes the kingdom of King David. But for several hundred years, Israel just had what was called a judge. And over and over again, what would happen in, in, in this ex-slave nation is they would have a spiritual revival, and everyone would get really dedicated and consecrated to following the ways of Yahweh. The one true God, there is no other God beside him. And then spiritual entropy happened. 
They'd lose their spiritual energy. And then they would get ensnared by serving these gods that were no gods. Now, I don't want to get into too much technicality, but how many of you have heard of the the false god of Baal? Anybody heard that term? If you've seen it in the Old Testament, there was a god of Baal. How many of you have heard the term Baalzebub? Uh, that, that's, that's a little more popular. That's a, that's a derivative of Baal. And Jesus actually referred to Beelzebub, and he, he, he equated Beelzebub as, with Satan. And uh, there was another common god. Uh, there was a god by the name of Ashtaroth, or that god in other cultures got to be known as Ishtar, or eventually Aphrodite, or ultimately Venus, the god of sexuality. Now, what's really fascinating about this god, goddess, god, male, god, female, was that inscriptions in, the, in that part of Mesopotamia on her altars would be these statements, I am both male and I am female. And she became known as the god of sexuality and part of the ritual uh, practices of her worship or its worship or their worship. Notice the pronoun. Are you guys beginning to see... Wait a minute. What are you talking about? Are you talking about right now, Steve? I, actually, I am. There is nothing new under the sun. These principalities and powers... See, this is, this is part of the, the whole subject matter that I think we tend... You know, the, we, you know, most of you in this room have been taught enough about the fact that we are in a... We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood against principalities and powers. But can I just say to you, there is a, a constant erosion in your psyche and thinking to get you to stop thinking that that is actually true and to make you actually a passive recipient of all the vomiting that those principalities and powers and they are very sophisticated at getting you to kind of go, go along just in an apathetic way. If, 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 if we can make God's people apathetic, then we can run, uh, run havoc among those who don't know the Lord. And it's a subtle seduction that we have to be constantly vigilant for. But uh, the, the supreme God of those gods was a God named Dagon. We're gonna maybe we'll get to Dagon today, but he was the father of Baal, and uh, Baal happened to be the half brother to Ashtaroth, so there was already incest, and they had all kinds of little gods, and uh, and you go, wow, this this sounds really sick. It's no sicker than what we have. It's exactly what it's just a it's just rebranded. It's just a new version of a very ancient practice. And um, we don't need to know much more than that except this. There is no God but you, Yahweh. And we choose to follow you. 
And so turn over with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord, verse 1. And by the way, I'm going to do a little... Uh, how many people here are under the age of 25? Just raise your hand. Okay, wow, that's great. Here's what I want all of you under the age of 25 is go down... Uh, you can't go down to a Christian bookstore. They don't have them anymore. Just go to one online and buy yourself a really good leather Bible. Okay? Invest in a good leather Bible and then begin to mark it up the way I do. You don't have to do it the way I do, but start really studying your good old-fashioned leather Bible and preferably get nice margins on it so that you can make notes to yourself that you can read years later and go, well, I didn't quite understand that verse, but that's okay. Or, boy, that was a good insight. I'm glad I didn't forget that. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see. Now, so who is Eli? Eli is the high priest. He's the, he's the chief priest for all of Israel. And this little boy, well, he was a little boy. He's now probably an a older teenager named Samuel is helping him. Eli is the old priest who is, he's a man that loves the Lord. He, 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 has, uh, he has some severe disobedience in his life, but he's, he's one of those, he's compromised, but he actually has an affection and reverence for the Lord. And we're going to look at some of what his compromise has to do with. But one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was was laying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lay down. So Samuel, now, now listen to this. It says, Now Samuel did, did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. And then the Lord said to Samuel, and I'm not going to read what he said, but it was a judgment 
against Eli's house for his negligence in correcting his adult children who were also co-priests with him and all the sin that they, you know, all the bribery and the abuse and the sexual immorality that those young men, Eli's adult sons, were participating in, and he had not corrected that. So let's, let's think about this story a little bit. And one of the things that um, a lot of us read the, the Scripture and we... we uh, the reason we don't enjoy it is we just aren't good readers. It's not that it's a bad story. It's, it's a great story, and these, these stories are so jam-packed with truth. It's amazing. But the first thing it says, what does it say? Samuel was ministering to the Lord. That's the very first word out of, out of the Scripture about Samuel describing this young man. But then it says he didn't know the Lord. Remember, later on it says he didn't, he didn't yet know the Lord. <clears throat> so what does that mean? Can I just tell you, there are levels of relationship with God. And in fact, the, the, in the Old Testament, we have this really detailed uh, description, massive sections of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus are describing what we call the tabernacle of Moses. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but there's basically three sections of that tabernacle. And the three sections of that tabernacle are this. There's the outer court, then there's an inner court, and then there's the innermost, or the holiest place of all, the holy of holies. Now here's the interesting thing. That outer court, that was where the blood sacrifices were made. That's where people would slaughter an animal, and the blood of that animal, a goat or a bull, would be shed. It would be put on that altar. It would be sacrificed. And it was outside under the sky. It had natural light. And then there was the inner court, and it was closed off. It was, there, was, there was only the menorah. You've heard of the menorah, the seven candlestick. And the light of that menorah was out of special anointing olive oil, which was representative of the Holy Spirit. It, was, it represented the light of the Holy Spirit. And then beyond the veil, there was the Holy of Holies. And it was completely shrouded, and no exterior light could get in. There's only one light that could be in that room, and that was the glory of God, the light from God Himself. Can I just submit to you that a lot of us are outer court Christians, we, we minister to the Lord, but we really don't know the voice of the Lord. We don't know the Lord the way He has invited us to know Him. Every one of us that are, that are standing in the outer court have received the blood sacrifice of the precious blood of Jesus, which is much better than blood of goats and bulls, according to Hebrews. 
We've received the forgiveness of our sins. In a sense, we, we, we know the salvation of God. But there is an invitation to take it one step further. And that one step further is to go into the Holy of Holies, where we learn to experience the enlightening filling of the Holy Spirit. And where we begin to learn that there's, we're not just being directed by natural light, we begin to see there's another light. But even that is not sufficient. There's one more place for us. And so that place is the holiest of all, where literally the weight and the glory of God begins to reveal everything. But there's a process we have to go through. And a lot of that process is the Lord beginning to sanctify us. That's an old-timey word that none of us even understand. But here's another way of saying it. He wants to grow you up so you look a lot like Jesus, which is what we talk about around here. So much so that you are confusing to people. They think you might just be Him. And most of us can go, well, nobody's confused me with Jesus lately. Well, sounds like you might need to get into the holy place or the holy of holies. Get past the forgiveness of your sins and get into becoming like Jesus. But that's the process, and it's a process that we never stop until we get to heaven. And so one of the things we are all about is accelerating that process in your life. And so one of the things that we've been talking about is the Word of the Lord. And so here's a, here's a paradox, and, and, and this, this is, he was ministering to the Lord, but the Lord wasn't speaking to anybody. You know, you can, you can actually be a worshiper of God, but he quits speaking because there's too little obedience in your life. And that's over and over again, that's what we discover in the book of Judges, the book right before 1 Samuel is that, that God's people were constantly disobeying him. And so he would quit speaking to them. And then they would start getting oppressed by their enemies that worshipped all these other gods that they started worshipping. It's kind of like, well, we want to be like all the other people around us. I mean, you know, they don't have to go to church on Sunday morning, so why should we? And so what happens is they begin to make excuses for their own lack of devotion to the Lord God as the one true only God that's there. And so guess what happens? They get oppressed, depressed. They start taking all kinds of medications, and they they start having disasters. And then they wake up one day. First of all, they get mad at the God they haven't been talking to, and they start yelling at him. And then after they're exhausted, they finally go, they fall on their knees, and they repent. And you know what the Lord does? He begins to change their life again. And some of you can go, you want to hear my story about that? I mean, that's just welcome. I mean, there's a massive number of us that have experienced that kind of life. But what the Lord wants is a people that abide. So the word of the Lord was rare. That when, you, when, that, when you read that scripture and you say, the word of God is rare, and there were few visions. Can I just tell you, 
One of the things that I'm so glad that has happened in my life and in the last, really, interestingly enough, I got, I got saved a few, um, during that whole 1970s eruption of confusion. And what happened in my life was I, I had some, you know, children of Israel experiences, and I'd, I'd, I'd get right with the Lord, and then I'd start a backsliding, and then I'd get right with the Lord, and then I'd backslide a little further. And, and, and you know, I didn't know there was any kind of stability that could be had walking with God. And then finally I found somebody that knew what the word disciple actually meant, and they started doing that. And from that day forward, it was like, all right, I had, I had some, I had some uh, crampons as I'm trying to climb that mountain. And I'm using that metaphor because I think what it is is we want to all get to the mountain of the Lord, and we don't work our way there, but we do have to be constantly headed and letting Him pull us up the rope because we are going up to the mountain of the Lord. And we have to get ourselves where we can belay ourselves to Him and let Him pull us up the mountain. So there weren't many visions in those days. But you know what's really fascinating? The Lord, even in the midst of all of that, began to speak to this young man. And, I, and that's why I asked the question, how many of you are the, under the age of 25? You see, Eli had had a chance to lead Israel in a revival, but he'd, he'd gotten, he'd allow compromise to persist too long in his life. And the Lord said, I can't use this generation, I'm going to use the next one. I, if you're over 25, I, I don't know about you, but can I say this as a preacher? But that scared the hell out of me. It should. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we need to have the fear of, of just, I don't want to live my life being one of those old saints that has so much compromise in my life, the Lord quits talking to me. And that'll be you, young people, if you don't take advantage of the voice of the Lord in your life. So how, what does it mean to take advantage of the voice of the Lord? You obey it. No matter what it takes. This is why we are constantly call, talking about our five D's of being a devoted disciple of Jesus. And the first D is what? Decided. Decided about what? That my whole life is going to be structured around Him. Not about my career, not around my marriage, not around my ambitions, not about my hopes or my fears. My life is decided to follow Jesus all the way. I'm going to do it every day, and I make that commitment over and over again, and then I begin to implement th disciplines in my life that will assure that the grace of God comes to me through those means of grace like studying the Bible, like praying, like fellowship in church, that kind of thing. <clears throat> so 
here's the interesting phenomenon. Notice the patience of the Lord with this young man who's hearing the voice of the Lord. Are you noticing it? The Lord, well, here's, here's something that I really appreciate about Samuel, is obviously he was dutiful. And he did hear. He just thought, he was confused. He thought it was the voice of his instructor. Isn't that ironic? The voice that he heard sounded like Eli's. And the other thing I noticed is that this happened three times before his instructor had a, oh, I've gotten so used to not hearing the voice of the Lord, I've, I forgot about it. But you know, that's, that kind of thing happens to you when you're hearing the voice of the Lord. And next time, say, and these are the words that all of us, I want us to walk away this morning with. I want these words to be etched in our heart. And that's really the title of my sermon today. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I wish I had time. I'm, I'm just going to make reference to it. In, the, in Genesis chapter 2, it says the Lord made a garden. And he put all the trees that were good for eating. And in the center of the garden, he put the tree of life. And then he put another tree in the center of the garden. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he, then he told Adam, he said, look, Adam, in the day, uh, just when you're in the garden, right there, even in the center, eat, any, eat, eat from all the trees that are good for you, except that one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from that tree, that, that tree will, when you eat from that tree, it'll kill you. And notice, it didn't say, I will kill you, it will kill you. You see, I mean, a lot of times we teach that, you know, Adam and Eve, that's the famous, the fall. Adam and Eve eventually did eat from that tree. And we often teach, and I think partially incorrectly, is, well, they, they disobeyed God, so that's what killed them. No, that's not what Jesus, that's not what the Father told them. He said, when you eat from that tree, it will kill you. This is really, really, really important for us to pay attention to. Because those two trees are still the options we have. And we live in the shadow of an institute of higher learning and state government and we are constantly trying to train our minds, and we want knowledge. But the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, not just knowledge. As I've pointed out before, Nazi Germany had the highest literacy rate of any organized nation in the history of the world. 
Education and knowledge does not make you human. And so, the very first question, in fact, it's a question. And this is, this is really important to understand. The first thing out of the serpent's mouth was not a statement. It was a question. And you know what that question was? Has God really said that you'll die if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, by the way, did you notice that? It's the tree of good and evil. A lot of us kind of truncate it because we don't understand the good part. Can I just tell you, every time you meet a person that says, well, I'm a pretty good person, and I think I should go to heaven, they've just taken a big old bite out of that apple. Of goodness. Being good, that's why we constantly say, none of us can be good enough. We need, we're never going to be good enough. We don't even have to be evil to not be good enough. That's why we need somebody that was perfect to die in our place. I mean, that's part of the whole message. But it doesn't make sense if what we're based on is a a meritocracy you know really good people get to heaven first you know first chair gets right up in front of jesus and you know some of us just get by by the skin of our teeth and we mostly live a pagan life that's not that's not how it works we none of us can get there except apart from that blood in the outer court So here's kind of the conclusion. Quit allowing yourself to ask this question. And a lot of Christians ask this question. Well, what does that really mean? Kind of sounds like, did God really say? When you read something in the Scripture that confuses you, say this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Quit challenging everything. Learn to dwell with mystery. Learn to have the humility to clothe yourself in front of the Almighty God and say, you're big, I'm not. You've had a total, if you're close to my age, 60 years on this planet, and you are infinitesimally ignorant compared to the the adversaries that you face. Or you're infinitesimal in your thinking, you're gigantic in your ignorance. How about that? My point is, let's clothe ourselves in humility and say, Lord, I don't understand this. And he may say, come back in 10 years. You know, there, there's places in the Scripture. In fact, I would, I'll just tell you, this story, one of the things I love about this story is how it's just kind of opened up to me in the last several years. Because what I, I began to see, I began to see it because I've kept just saying, Lord, if you want to speak to me about this, I'm, I'm here. 
because I know this is truth, and it's embedded in here, and I'm not quite ready. And so for all of us, when we go to a text in the Scripture and we're not quite ready to, 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 to digest it and to receive it, that's okay. Just say, Lord, I'm ready when you are. And after you've read it about once every year for every year of your life at some point in year 40 or year 25 or year 15, you're going to have a eureka moment and you are going to think you have the greatest revelatory power in the world because the Lord just did you a download and he gives you just a month. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure the angels are going, look at that. He's so excited. He's like a first grader. He thinks he just got a PhD. He just understands the the first grade level of that. So we want to hear the voice of the Lord. And then what we want to do, once we've heard the voice of the Lord, what do we want to do? We want to obey it. Can I just confess to you, sometimes you don't actually or exactly know how to obey it. But what we want to do is let's all stand up. The Lord said, I want you to drop your oars. How many of you go? And if you're a visitor for the first time, you go, what does that mean? That's that, Anybody that's ever rowed a boat or guided a canoe would say, that sounds really goofy. Well, it is until you know what the word of the Lord is. that he has a different means of propulsion. So let's, uh, let's pray. And I want you, um, let's, I want to invite elders and life group leaders to come forward. And In this church, we invite people to come and pray. This is part of our liturgy. Um, it, you may have a need you may have a physical ailment. You may have someone you want to pray for. You may have something that you're struggling with in your own life. You may, it doesn't matter. The scripture is very clear. Is, is that when we pray, God answers our prayers. We believe in that. And he, he really answers the prayer of someone who's humbly saying, God, I want what you have to share with me. Father, we thank you that uh, we get to say to you, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, we, we, we pray that the word of the Lord would not be rare in our days. Lord, that every person in this room would be a prophet, that they would hear from God and they would hear for their friends and their family. And Lord, I just pray for every person here that you would begin to speak to them. And Lord, as they continue to grow, that they would learn how to hear you well and just like Samuel didn't recognize your voice that they would recognize that they have not been recognizing your voice 
So, Lord, we just ask that there would not be a famine in the land of the word of the Lord for this, for us as a people. In Jesus' name, amen.